Talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're taking another look at Werewolf by Night, first seen in October 2022, when, it's safe to say, it did slightly better than Bugs Bunny's Hollow Stream Spooktacular. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I thought of Werewolf by Night shortly. Meanwhile, joining us to give their thoughts on Werewolf by Night is writer and editor Kirsten Howard. Kirsten, where can people find you? Oh, you can find me at denofgeek.com, where I am the news and features editor. We also have a streaming series called Marvel Standom, which is usually live weekly on Twitch and YouTube. And you can watch all the archived episodes on YouTube now or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm the co-host and producer on that show. And we've been doing it oh quite a while now. So there's lots to catch up on if you fancy it. Okay, so before we go any further, Kirsten, what happens in Werewolf by Night? What happens in Werewolf by Night is that Ulysses Bloodstone, who is by all accounts a massive asshole, has died. <laughs> and his daughter comes to his funeral where they've set up a kind of gauntlet for control of his prized possession, the Bloodstone, which can control monsters, destroy monsters. Also joining them is a werewolf in disguise, Jack Russell, and he comes along and tries to save his friend friend Man-Thing who has had the bloodstone sort of sellotape to his back and that is the monster that all these monster hunters and Elsa are supposedly hunting with Jack but it all goes a bit wrong. Okay so Kirsten how much did you know about Werewolf by Night before you saw this? I knew a little bit about Werewolf by Night for example I knew that it had been one of the bigger series back in the day I think uh, it was an idea by Roy and Gene Thomas and then they gave it to Jerry Conway and Mike Pluke who was doing some great Eisner-esque art at the time. I had read a few of them because I think the first major series of Werewolf by Night was about 43 issues. So I haven't read all of them, but I'd certainly read the first appearance of Moon Knight because that's probably one of, if not my favourite Marvel Comics character. That's quite a key thing because it's interesting that you've mentioned Moon Knight there because I think that and this have been the real unexpected runaway hits of the whole of Phase 4 to the extent that now, we've done a couple of revisited a few films and not many TV shows yet on this, but Werewolf by Night, from the start, I immediately thought we're going to need more than one episode to cover this because it was so much more, I think, really than people were expecting. Because as I said on the previous occasion we talked about this, I was expecting it was going to be, you know, like True Blood or something, very in that or American horror story, that nouveau horror genre. And they'd completely not gone for that at all. I think it took people by surprise. And I'm really, really pleased it did because let's not go into all this now, but some of the higher profile movies in particular recently in phase four haven't quite lived up to people's expectations. And this... 
I can't even really say I exceeded people's expectations because I think people didn't really come into it with any at all. Yeah, I'm glad that people have really loved Werewolf by Night, but I did know a bit about it before I'd seen it. So I was less surprised by some of the elements. I'd heard that it was going to be in black and white. I knew quite a lot about the actors that were starring in it and had quite a lot of the comics history under my belt. I was also able to spend just shy of an hour talking to the director, Michael Giacchino, before it began streaming. So I had um, a lot of background on it that perhaps other people didn't have. But I was still surprised by how great it was, honestly, even with that knowledge going in. Yeah, if, even though it's nominally 50 minutes and, you know, when you take right. out, I suppose, the credits, it's not even quite that. But it felt like there was more in it than, you know, you get in some movies that are nearly three times that length. I think it's quite incredible what they got in there. And Michael Giacchino is a really interesting choice as director because, you know, most people will just know him, even in a Marvel context, as a composer. I mean, the thing I always bring up is he composed that piece of music that is in Lost every 20 seconds. When they're always when they're walking for about half the episode, because you know it's not like it could have been explaining things during that time on Lost. But let's not get into all that now. But he's really <laughs> apparently he has directed a couple of shorts which I've still not seen. I have since the original episode of Werewolf by Night. I've tried to track them down, not really managed to. I have seen there are some clips in the brilliantly titled Director by Night on Disney+, Plus, which is about the background and the making of it. But he's just done an outstanding job here, and it's almost like he's come from nowhere. But given that you've spoken to him for an hour, I imagine you might have a slightly different take on that. <laughs> well, he has come from nowhere in terms of a director, but he was clear to tell me that he had spent a lot of time on set with J.J. Abrams, people like Brad Bird as well. So he had picked up things, and he had been making movies since he was a kid. He and his brother used to make loads of movies, and if you do watch that making of Werewolf by Night, it's really quite a sweet little documentary from his brother just about their childhood and how they were just obsessed with movies and making movies so I think it's always been in his mind that he would want to be you know behind the camera as it were it's just that his career has gone the way of composing but it's interesting that you say that you know, in less than 50 minutes, they do such a good job that with this character and this story than some larger projects do. Because it feels like this is quite a learning moment for Marvel Studios in terms of, you know, some of their Disney Plus series have really, the format and Marvel formula haven't really suited the length of the episodes in terms of six over six or nine episodes. And Werewolf by Night manages to, in less than an hour, do a better job of bringing these characters to the screen and giving you the feeling of wanting more than a few of their shows, certainly. Yeah, I think that we could definitely see, I know we've got the, uh, when we're recording this one, we've got the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special coming up, but I think in the future we could see more of these one-off special presentations as opposed to the shows, because I think the amount of the shows and the episode running times of the shows and stuff like that, they have rather exhausted some 
viewers. So these one-off things I think would probably work better in between the films than just the glut of Marvel content that we've had over the last few years. I think you've actually onto something there because in preparation for talking about the Guardians Holiday Special, because that is going to be a kind of wrap-up for Phase 4 on this, I have gone mm. back through Phase 4 again. And a couple of the shows I did actually think this would have worked better as a much longer special. Yes. In particular, I might be alone on this, but I kind of felt, what if, maybe, given that it took so long to work out that we're building up to something, there were a couple of duff episodes along the way. It might have been better as, you know, you would have needed at least two hours for it, but as something you could watch in one go, rather than, as quite a few people did, watch the Killmonger episode and think, I didn't really see the point of that. Yeah, that episode in particular seemed to take a lot of the same steps as his journey in the MCU, so it, we didn't, I didn't feel like we learned a lot more about the character in that episode, surely. But also, this is particularly interesting because we are now well into, not just a second level Marvel characters, but the ones that even even people who read Marvel comics regularly might not know about. I mean, they say that in the full knowledge that, you know, recently I have been surprised. I wasn't surprised that people didn't know who Shang-Chi was who just went to see it. But that, you know, with Wakanda Forever just having come out, so many people I know in, quote, the real world didn't know who Namor slash Namor. It's still not clear what they want us to call him, but no. they've never heard of the Submariner. And that seemed really strange to me. So when you're dealing with characters like Jack Russell and Elsa Bloodstone and mm -hmm. coming Further down the line, there are people like supposedly White Tigers coming into it soon. And it's fascinating that they have taken a character who most people watching it will have no background with at all, no history, and made it into something that genuinely I think people want to see more of. They want to see more of Jack, of Ted, Brackett's man thing, of Elsa. And what an achievement that is. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, sometimes we joke that the MCU is in its Glopshito phase where they are bringing these characters to the screen and it's sort of a mixed hit rate. You know, some of them are really landing, really becoming, you know, iconic and successful. And some of them are just, you know, people like, why did I waste my time? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's a real mixed bag of the, the MCU in phase four. But this really does the job. I think. And also they have made a couple of attempts in the past to dip into Marvel's horror universe, particularly there's that brilliant fourth season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which nobody really saw because you know, the first two seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. aren't that good. And I think that put a lot of people off. And it's a shame because season four is absolutely fantastic. And in that, you know, obviously it introduced the Darkhold, it had Ghost Rider, a couple of demonic characters. There's also Hellstrom, which I can't even really say it's got a bad reputation or an unfair reputation because it doesn't really have one at all. I think people just didn't yeah. notice it. And it's still yet to have an official position. In it. They have made it clear it is part of the MCU and it does have some continuity, but it hasn't been officially put in the timeline or anything yet, which it hasn't common with a few other things like Cloak and Dagger which again had some of the horror elements but didn't really catch on and it's as though they finally realised that you don't have to try and court kind of a wider audience for horror content and, you know, trying to make it modern and I suppose, I don't like the phrase, but zeitgeist surfing really. And right. this, they've completely gone down an idiosyncratic route with this and it's worked. I would say that they did the same with Moon Knight as well, but this yes. feels like more of an achievement. Moon Knight for me, even though he's my favourite Marvel Comics character and perhaps because he's my favourite, Marvel Comics character. The show didn't always work 
work for me. I felt like it was quite ambitious. And when it worked, it really worked. But when it didn't, it was a bit of a mess. So perhaps if Moonlight had been like a standalone like this, it would have been a better introduction, perhaps. It's hard to say. Marvel Studios' Werewolf by Night is unlike anything else Marvel has done before. Critics are calling it one of the best homages to classic horror. Good luck. I'll be rotting for you. <laughs> you wanna see this, darling? Werewolf by Night, now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. I mean, there is a lot of talk at the moment about where they go next with the horror content, because obviously, sure. you know, Moon Knight is out there. Blade has said one line in one film, <laughs> so far, which that I will say that as one of my criticisms of Phase 4, in that I know a lot of it to do with the fact that they had to move things around, including some things that were already in the can before 2019 was over. Absolutely. But there is a lot of waiting around for people who've been introduced. I still can't believe it's going to be nearly two and a half years before we see Monica Rambo again, unless she sent up a secret <laughs> invasion. That just feels kind of wrong to me. It's like I noticed the other week on Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, they talked about Hercules coming in at the end of Thor, Love and Thunder. And Rialina said, well, no, that's one scene. And if they pick it up, he'll be in it again. And at the same time as they would not have gone to the trouble of casting a name to be Hercules <laughs> if they weren't going to do something soon, I can see why a relatively casual viewer would think that at the moment, because the wait feels too long. So, you know, where is Blade? Where, <laughs> yes, where is Dane Whitman? You know, and yeah. there is an opportunity here to bring a number of those people and some of the older characters like Ghost Rider and Damon and Anna and so on back into it. But what do they do? What they got planned? Because there's nothing on the slate at the moment. Well, that's it. I mean... As they're expanding, things become more sprawling and the people that are excited by certain characters feel like they're waiting a long time to see them again because more new characters are being introduced. And we're also living in an age where we're seeing lots of, you know, teases and spoilers on social media and castings and release dates being shifted around. And, you know, those things are more prevalent than ever in major fans' lives. So it does seem like like these things aren't progressing as fast as we would like them to. I know that the Blade movie has been delayed because it's lost a director and they're looking for another director. So that goes back even further. And then it feels like the threads that they've got aren't quite weaving together properly, if indeed that is the case. I mean, weirdly, it feels very much like the, and it, this is that, that Phase 4 really does feel like the sort of Jim Shooter era of Marvel Comics, where <laughs> he was, you know, we, we have to have all these characters getting together and we have to have these tie-ins and everything's connected and we see this, like, huge sprawling universe, but people who are maybe more casual are getting lost, like, if they didn't see WandaVision they're a bit confused by Doctor Strange too and people who are in it are very in it and are frustrated by how things are playing out so I don't think like anyone knows what's going on really um <laughs> 
if I'm honest. It doesn't seem like people know, but it is apt that it feels very kind of like a shooter-esque era of the MCU because we are heading towards secret wars and, you know, all the chips will land where they may. You know, I think that we'll... I don't think if Phase 5 doesn't start off as well as people hope, there may be some trouble ahead for the MCU. But if they're still producing things like Werewolf by Night, I think they're in with a shot of coming through it on the other side. Well, I think that's one area where Werewolf by Night scored really highly. There was no dependency, really, no. on any pre-knowledge. I mean, there's nothing about Wondergore Mountain. There's nothing about explaining how Ted became the man thing, which I'm sure all of that will come into it down the line. But they revealed what you needed to know about each character, but the story that they were literally, not even the story that was ahead of them, the story that they were in at that time. Because there wasn't even any preamble to it. It's literally the monster hunters turn up and it starts. And I think that's the really important thing about it was anyone can sit down and watch this. They don't need to know anything about anything else that's going on. You know, they don't need to know about the nexus of realities or Howard the Duck or anything like that. It's just there. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I think that the MCU probably needs more of that. And I also like the way that story is told. They don't need to tell us all that stuff. You know, it actually inspires people to go and read the comics and find out more about these characters rather than seeing like an origin story unfold, which we've seen many times and usually hits the same sort of beats. You know, we're thrown into something and we sort of we're intrigued and that's what you want from a project, really. I think that's absolutely true because one of the regular guests on the show, David Smith, famously, although he adores Marvel Cinematic Universe, he's never actually read any of the comics. And what he really loves is seeing a new character and going and Googling them, you know, reading about them on Wikipedia <laughs> and so on. And, you know, there is that element for people. There is this universe beyond the monster of the universe that they can explore. And it doesn't all need to be. I mean, naming those certain long-running science fiction franchises, some things love shoving in every little bit of mythology at the moment. And it's so boring. Oh, please name them so I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about some of the others that I'm not as personally invested in, but Doctor Who, leave it out a bit, you know. It doesn't need to be like the clicking stamp sketch in the day-to-day. You don't need to represent everything literally, visually all the time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't watch Doctor Who, so I can't say how that's going. (laughs) All I know is that David Tennant is the Doctor again somehow. So that's where I'm at with Doctor Who. But yeah, I think the longer this stuff goes on, the more complex and interwoven it gets. And that's why, you know, they experience the same problem in the comics where things get too involved. They blow up the universe or they retcon stuff, you know. And if your regular guest is going on these Wikipedia pages, surely they'll be reading some truly wild stuff because... You know, once you get deep into the sort of character publication history on these things, even people like Jack Russell and Werewolf by Night have had a number of changes over the years and their backstories rarely make sense anymore. I've got to ask, though, have you seen the 2005 Man-Thing movie? I haven't, no, but I feel like I want to now. (laughs) I actually don't think you do. It was supposed to be a TV movie, but it was pushed into cinemas because Blade and the X-Men franchise have been so successful. It's got... 17% aggregate score on review sites. The test audience walked out during a test screening. (laughs) It was made in Australia. Avi Arad tried to get his name taken off it. Wow. And it was partly... (laughs) 
partly the negative reactions of that that made them finally think, yeah, we've got to start making our own films. If Avi Arad's taking his name off something, you know you've got a problem, right? <laughs> it is interesting. There are pre-MCU things that everyone remembers. There are many that have been forgotten. Like, did you know about Generation X, which I've forgotten about until someone reminded me recently? Oh, it, it does ring a bell. Yeah, It was... I- yeah. A kind of high school X-Men TV pilot in the 90s, so post, not even post Beverly Hills 90210, post Degrassi Junior High, really, with some X-Men at school. I feel like I saw it, honestly, perhaps on Sky one afternoon and then never seeing it again. I wouldn't blame you. It's things like that. It's the Power Pack pilot. People really even don't remember that well. Nearly everyone remembers the 70s Incredible Hulk TV series. Quite a few of them I found out in the reactions to the episode we did on it. Remember the Spider-Man one. Doctor Strange and Captain America. You can mention them until people are sick of you mentioning them and you still get no reaction at all. And yet, at the time, it was the most exciting thing to happen. Like two hours on television on the weekday night was Doctor Strange. I don't remember Doctor Strange, but I do remember Doctor Mordred, which was a movie with Jeffrey Combs, where they had wanted to do Doctor Strange but couldn't get the rights. So they just changed a few things about the character. That's actually quite a fun movie. <laughs> I'm not sure about the man thing one bit. Definitely hunt down Doctor Mordred if you can. It's a Stuart Gordon movie, I think, who did like Reanimator and movies like that. So it's it's definitely an experience. He's always a guarantee of inverted commas quality he was one of the directors profiles on do you ever see Jonathan Ross's The Incredibly Strange Film Show I remember it I don't Mm. but I don't remember anything I saw on it he was profiled on that and at that time when you couldn't really get hold of half of the films Jonathan Ross was obsessed with over here that was quite something to see (laughs) but I will say this the Man Thing movie has not reappeared not resurfaced on the back of Werewolf by In fact, I did try to track it down. (laughs) It is almost impossible. It looks like it's been on Daily Motion and then been removed. But I like to think that's not because of copyright reasons. That's because Daily Motion itself said no. I mean, I try to watch shows like this and movies like this that have been forgotten to the sounds of time, even if they do have like very low rating. Yeah, I just think they're an interesting like footnote in history. So where would you like to see this particular strand of the MCU go next? Well, that's an interesting question. I don't know whether it needs to go anywhere, which is one of the great things about it. Obviously, Jack Russell, well, if you know, obviously, if you don't, not so obviously, but Jack Russell was later in some team up groups like Legion of Monsters, Midnight Suns. So he definitely could be in a sort of Blade, Black Knight, Shang-Chi, any of those people go together with Werewolf by Night but the horror side of the MCU is something that a lot of people have wanted to see develop for a while and I think that's because you know most people's first proper movie experience with Marvel was Blade and it's sort of in the back of their mind when they see the stuff that Disney is putting out horror wise perhaps isn't up there with the horror of Blade but Michael Giacchino certainly found ways around it I mean you know they can't film it all in black and white to try and hide the blood so I think it is a tricky path for them and they may well just prefer to concentrate on more supernatural horror side going forward but we shall see well one thing I'm really hopeful about is it is a way back in for I mean I am very much in favor of I know there are all kinds of calls to recast characters and blah 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 but 
There are so mm. many of the early TV series that fell by the wayside, either because they didn't quite work or because they didn't have the PR push behind them. And I'm quite happy to see, I know a lot of people don't agree with me about this, but some of the Inhumans, particularly Surinder Swan as Medusa, really, I think, should be given another chance. I even think Finn Jones as Danny Rand, as was proved when he turned up in Luke Cage, can be better with a better director. But this is also a chance to bring in, I thought, Hellstrom had its problems, but, you know, that's due to the whole production history of Richard being part of an anthology series. But I thought they were great in the roles. Cloak and Dagger, I think, is a tremendous series. And again, they were both brilliantly cast. I don't know what's happened to it. I don't know why it's not on Disney+, Plus, but I would really like to see them come back. And this kind of strand is an ideal way to get them back in. We're actually in a very unique moment in the, as you put it, the zeitgeist, because recently there has been this game released called Marvel Snap. I think it's from one of the creators of Hearthstone, so it's a collectible card game. It's on mobile, it's on desktop, and a lot of people are playing this. It's a very, very addictive card game. And as you go along, you collect the cards and some of them are really random characters from Marvel (laughs) comics and the cartoons and I think that people are getting more of an interest from this game in these characters than they are you know from the comics weirdly this has reached really a wide audience so those characters that perhaps have been forgotten there are people that are playing this game now both young and like old like me who have a renewed interest in them so it's kind of an interesting moment and I wonder how much that will affect the perception of bringing in new characters and bringing back old characters. I cannot overstate how addictive it is. It's incredibly addictive. They've really done a good job on this game, but you know, it's really a clever little game that I think is bringing a lot of these characters back into the mind space. Well, I just hope it's as addictive as the Marvel Lego is, but we haven't had a Werewolf by Night set yet, and I want one. I want a Lego Man thing (laughs) with this Lego Swamp. That would be fantastic. (laughs) Which does bring me round to my closing question, which is, Kirsten, if you were the guardian of a swamp containing the intersection between all known realities, what would you use it for? Probably just being a real control freak over it, um, (laughs) as I am in most things in my life. (laughs) Very um, uh, yeah, so I would, I'd just be a problem for everyone, I think. <laughs> I'd just make myself a problem. Everyone that came along, I'd just, yeah. But well, once somebody's not threatening to do something to a Tory MP with their ability, but... <laughs> <laughs> Kirsten, thank you, and Excelsior. <laughs> thank you. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me, at timworthington.org.